0: This episode is brought to you by Sheath. You can go to sheathunderwear.com and discover the most comfortable underwear ever created. Now, what makes sheath underwear different? Well, for men, on the inside of the underwear, there is a dual pouch. That means separate compartments for your manhood. Imagine a silky, smooth pouch on the inside that your boys slide right into that keeps you separate from your legs. So there's no more sticking, no more chafing, no more need for readjustment. We all know that little move you have to make to kind of peel the bad boys off of the leg. Well, with sheath, that is a thing of the past. There are several fabrics to choose from. From modal to bamboo, my personal favorite is the bamboo. It's a newly launched product that everyone seems to really love. I highly recommend trying the bamboo sheath underwear if you have not ever given yourself the gift of true comfort. Wearing these underwear truly sets a new precedent for what underwear are. And for most people, I think they end up switching entirely over to sheath because when you put on your old underwear after trying these, they just don't cut it anymore. You can try sheath risk-free. There is a 100% money back guarantee on your first pair. So go to sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. I've been involved with Sheath since its conception. It was founded by my brother, Robert Patton, who is a US military vet, who during the course of his two tours to Iraq, developed this product out of need. Need is the mother of invention, as he likes to say, and he did a great job bringing this awesome product to the world. Again, that's sheathunderwear.com promo code TIMEWHEEL. This episode is also brought to you by Ohana Kava Bar. Go to OhanaKavaBar.com and check out their selection. Ohana means family and it is spelled O-H-A-N-A and Kava is spelled K-A-V-A. You can order directly from their website and they will mail you high quality kava. If you don't already know, kava is a plant medicine, an herbal supplement, a replacement for alcohol. It is an incredible experience. I have used kava for years now. I love it. It makes you chill, happy, vibey. It is a communal and ceremonial beverage to unwind with at the end of your day. If you haven't given kava a try, I highly recommend it. Again, go to ohanakavabar.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 10%. Their store offers classic kava, instant kava, Kava tinctures, kava capsules, and more, all of which I have tried and all work incredibly well. OhanaKavaBar.com, promo code TimeWheel.
1: Accessing archive authorizing Access Granted Accessing
2: File
0: I Think we are rolling. I am here with Hallie Rose. How are you doing today, Hallie?
2: I'm doing so well, Matt, and I'm so excited that we finally made this happen. I know we've been talking about it for a very long time, so I'm really happy to see what we get into today.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I was first introduced to you through um, Jennifer's uh, isolation tank.
2: Wow, when you said the isolation tank, I hadn't thought about it since since we actually did that I don't know if your listeners know what that was or or what that is but uh, I mean we could we could give a little background on what that was because that was such Mm -hmm. an interesting time
0: (laughs) it was yeah it was shortly after the quarantine began and a lot of us were sitting there in isolation Um, so we were uh, Jen had started kicking around the idea Jen from Evolve and Ascend a good friend of of mine who I've known for many years um, started kicking around the idea of we should do weekly hangs you know and invited me and Mike Brancatelli and uh, Michael from Third Eye Drops and uh, you and a bunch of other lovely podcasters into a space to just kind of uh, discuss how we feel about things that are going on and share in our journey and I think a large amount of the resonance that people held with each other is interest in, uh, the expansion of consciousness, plant medicines, psychedelics, um, and then just being a creative all around. Absolutely. You fit that mold. I think, (laughs) I think so. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I fit the mold of not fitting into a mold. (laughs)
0: Love it. So, to to give a little bit of background, um, you have your own podcast, the Thought Room, and uh, you also have a course called The Conscious Man. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to jump into those in just a little bit, but I want to go even further back and ask, how did you get interested in, you know, becoming conscious, so to speak, like um, or even. What interested you in plant medicine? Because I think a lot of people that end up getting interested in spirituality in a really tangible way start with some type of experience, and a lot of times it could be, uh, you know, plant medicine offering that experience. Some other times it can be near death experiences or trauma. There's all kind of ways that people get into uh, discovering spirituality and starting to embody that path, but. For you, what was it?
2: Mm. It's a really great question. Uh, My parents would tell you, I'm sure, that I was always a seeker. You know, I always was very introspective. I began journaling at eight years old. And for, for you can see me because you're on video, but for those listening, you know, right behind the doors, right behind me is a big closet, and inside that closet is a suitcase with about forty to fifty filled diaries, um, hundreds and hundreds of thousands, if not over a million words, of writing from my lifetime. Uh, the earliest being a journal from 1998. <laughs> so. Wow. I have always, nobody Nobody said, hey, you should sit down and journal. I mean, maybe a teacher, but like nobody tells you something like that and then you stick with it that long if it's not just something that's in you. Mm -hmm. So I think that was always in me and I was very, I say this in in like a loving way, but I was always a very melancholic child and Mm -hmm. sort of viewed the world in this, way of of really hooking into the feeling sense of like even nature, the rivers and the the trees and the wind and the way that the wind would move through the grass. Like it it, it was poetry to me. Mm-hmm. And I I would live it and I'd breathe it and it it had such deep feeling sense. And I always felt like there were secrets within nature. And I wanted to understand that more deeply. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, I was always a really introspective kid. I was raised by a set of very conscious parents. I went to a really cool alternative school, and mm-hmm. there were a lot of stepping stones along the way that sort of perfectly primed me to ponder, you know, these, these greater questions, I later would go on to become a Waldorf teacher and studied a lot of Rudolf Steiner's works. Mm -hmm. Then I would, you know, I did a degree, a four-year degree in psychology and it's kind of, kind of one of those chicken and the egg things. Like, why did I do that? Mm -hmm. Probably because I was interested in learning about myself I don't know. That's what that's what the joke is about people who study psychology is like they want to learn how to understand their own mind and
0: mm-hmm. I think
2: that was really true like why did I feel the way that I felt and uh, observing human behavior like humans still one of my favorite pastimes is to just go to a park and watch people. As creepy mm-hmm. as that sounds it's like I'm fascinated.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
2: why why is she Why is she contracting while he's speaking to her? Why are her eyes scanning away? Why is that child playing with that other child that way? Or, you know, like that Mm. kind of thing. It's the poetry of life. So I would say that was the beginning. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And um, then I just really got into reading books from people like Ramdas and listening to Alan Watts lectures and...
0: Well, where did you hear of those authors? Because for me, you know, like there's this whole ethos that they exist within that, for a lot of people, just isn't understood. Why would I be interested in the type of things they speak on? What well, What was it that right resonated with you?
2: Well, you just said the word resonated, and this is this is how this is how everything works. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: If we want to get right down to it, it's <laughs> it's vibration, right? Mm -hmm. how do things vibrate into our field how do we walk into a space and we say this space has good vibes this person has good vibes why does why is it good vibes to one person and not good vibes to the other person like it is this idea of frequency and Mm -hmm. resonating so Um, And you probably noticed this in your own life. Why do certain friends kind of come in and out at different periods of your life? Well, it's based on what you're emanating, what you're vibrating and what you're trying to create and call in. And this is how we find each other. And this is how we find the things that we're interested in. We Mm. vibrate them into our field in a very grossly oversimplified way. That's what's occurring. So how did I come in contact with the teachings of Ram Das and the Alan Watts lectures, I think I was already ubiquitously sort of dipped into a world from my birth that those sorts of books and things were around me. Mm. And my older brother also was a really big influence on me. So I spent a summer living with him on a lake in Canada, and there was no Wi-Fi out there, and there wasn't really a lot going on other than us and nature and we'd get up every morning and he'd make a French press full of coffee and we would have like pre-downloaded podcasts because again we couldn't stream anything out there. So we we'd have like downloaded things on the Wi-Fi the night before. And in the mornings we'd listen to podcasts from people like Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. people like Aubrey Marcus and And we kept listening. Why do we keep listening? Because sometimes you turn something on and you're like, eh, this isn't for me. It doesn't resonate. Mm -hmm. We kept listening. And the feeling that I got as I listened to these people speak was like, I feel like I know what they're talking about. It's like I know it, but I don't know it. Or like there's a (laughs) familiarity here. And I got the sense as I was diving, you know, you go into one podcast, you know this because now we're both podcasters, but it's Mm -hmm. like you find one person you like and then they've interviewed another person and then you realize they're all friends and you go down this whole rabbit hole of finding all these people and you really find where you belong in that space. And um, when I was doing that and going from one podcaster to the next and one lecture series to the next, I had this thought that was like, these people are my friends, you know, like Mm. I feel Mm -hmm. like I belong doing this and I thought it would be like a very long road, (laughs) you know, it was like somewhere far off in the distance, but this, this thought, you know, that was probably only in in 2018 Mm. and I was doing something completely different. I had not really, I had almost no experience with psychedelics at that point, maybe Mm -hmm. like two mushroom Journeys under my belt
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it has happened incredibly fast, you know yeah. <laughs> this journey has been absolutely wild, but the familiarity i 'll never forget that that feeling of these people are my peers mm-hmm. you know this, it was something I c- couldn't shake, and I think I think we all deep down know what we're supposed to do, we know what we're supposed mm-hmm. to do. And we fight it because we resist it because we're afraid that it might not happen or that it might happen. Or do we deserve it if it happens? And we let our mind go on all these little thought chains and spirals. Right. But the truth is, you know, if we all get down to it and ask ourselves like, what's the thing I'm supposed to be doing today? Eric Godsey, like he, we always, you know, he always says this, he's like, he asks people and his students, if you were to sit down in the morning and be like, what's the, the one thing I need to do today that I'm not doing? Mm-hmm. Like, what is that thing? We all can answer it like immediately. We just don't want to be honest with ourselves <laughs> most of the time what that thing is, but right. we can do it. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. The one thing, I think it's a book as well. And that might be where. podcast. Oh, too. it is. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Very yeah, cool. It is a book for sure. Yeah, I think that may be where Eric got it from, but he's definitely got a beautiful way of transmitting uh, all the things in his mind. He's, he's a wonderful person. And he was uh, interviewed in the same season um, that this, yeah. will, this podcast will be released on. So that's My cool. boy. Yeah.
2: Shout out, gods.
0: Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So when it comes to um, the psychedelics and the plant medicine, um, mm-hmm. what attracted you to that? And how was the, you know, how was your first powerful experience? Because I understand, you know, we can try them and not really get a breakthrough experience. And maybe it's just kind of like, oh, I felt a little funny, but it wasn't a spiritual awakening. Now, did psychedelics give you a spiritual awakening? And, and again, what kind of attracted you to the idea that you wanted to go into this?
2: Mm. Great questions. There's a lot there. So I'm going to start with when was my first psychedelic experience? And I think, again, it was probably 2017 or 2018. I was pretty late to the game. I wasn't even really someone who smoked cannabis or, you know, I was pretty straight and narrow. And I'm glad for that. And Mm -hmm. I'll tell you why. Mm Mm-hmm it's was because I spent a lot of time creating a foundation for this work that I'm now engaged in. I spent a lot of time reading, a lot of time being with the poetry of the mystics and the saints and, you know, read, Rumi and, and like letting these words land inside of my heart
1: mm-hmm.
2: in a very grounded way. I started to learn about, again, how the mind works, how we trick ourselves, how fear comes on, what that feels like, how you know it's fear talking, like all these little subtle nuances that actually prepared me for the psychedelic experience. Because if I hadn't have done this work beforehand, I fear that it could have been traumatic you know, mm-hmm. if you're not prepared, if you don't know how to be with yourself, if you don't know what's going on, if you're you start hearing, you start hearing these thoughts, and you you think, oh, this isn't me. Well, it actually is you. Psychedelics just turn the volume up on what's there. So, you know, people mm-hmm. will say that too, like, oh, I can't smoke weed; it makes me anxious. And I'll mm-hmm. be like, heard. Like there is something to the brain chemistry and what strain strain you're you're smoking and all this, mm-hmm. but also. I don't know if the weed's making you anxious. Maybe there's anxiety and the weed is turning up the volume. Same thing with like mushrooms and that's mushrooms, ayahuasca, all of it. And that's why obviously this has been beat like a dead horse, but set in setting, you know, and that, that's why these things are important. Right. Um, so my first mushroom journey was just something that I had started to have really absurd dreams. Mm hmm before this and i had one friend who was into some like what i thought it was weird stuff at the time you know she was really into reading about (laughs) extraterrestrials and Mm -hmm. um she was into tantra and i was uh, an energy in breath and like having these endogenous dmt releases just from breath work and she was just like sending me all of this like air quote weird stuff Mm -hmm. but i was fascinated and um Then she invited me to come visit her in her city and to have a psilocybin journey for the first time. And I'm very grateful for that container because I had no idea what I was doing. And it's great to be with people who know what they're doing for your first time, especially things like things that get overlooked, like lighting, Mm -hmm. like music. Like, you don't want to have bright lighting. You also might not want to have candles if you're not like a well-seasoned psychonaut, right? Because mm-hmm. like, then the paranoia of like, is the candle going to set something <laughs> on fire? Like, these are the things that like, if you've never done it before, you don't think about. And mm-hmm. the people that I was with, like the guy had incredible taste in music mm-hmm. and just had enough music to go on forever. Because like, there's nothing worse than being on a psychedelic journey and then the music playlist ends and then you're fumbling around on a phone and you don't right. want to look at it and you're trying to find more music. So like, these are the things that now after having some
1: mm-hmm.
2: less than satisfactory experiences, I'm really appreciating about the, this, this first journey right. and it was light, you know, I had a really light experience, but I, I felt hooked into that, that magic that I was describing as a child where I felt the breath and the pulse of things, like just everything together. Right. Like it was this network. And I was looking at my friend and her beautiful face and the way that the light was fractaling off of it. And it looked like vines and and light, like the movie Avatar, just like moving through her face. And she just looked like a beautiful goddess. And Mm -hmm. um, it was gorgeous and very easy, you know, for
0: the most part. Do you ever get the sense that what we're seeing is perhaps the true form of things, you know? Cause I, I get that sense too. We are the divine incarnate, you know, it's just, what do you think about it?
2: Do I think we're the divine incarnate?
0: Yeah. Like what you're seeing is actually more real than this like base reality.
2: Yeah, totally. And, and I'm going to tell you something, it's less about what we're seeing it's more about what we're feeling because the mm-hmm. seeing the seeing has to do with these physical structures with the eye and the optic nerve and the way that it interacts with the brain and mm-hmm. how sensory you know sensory input information gets translated through the optic nerve and this is where this is all how things work on the third dimensional level mm-hmm. right Right. But when we step through the portal of these psychedelic experiences, the reason not a lot of it makes sense is because some people are still trying to look at what's happening through the third dimensional lens. And that's not the frequency or dimension or vibration that you're in anymore. Mm -hmm. And different faculties, different senses become accessible Mm -hmm. on these states and often those third dimensional senses become heightened like you might smell things much more intensely Mm
1: -hmm.
2: um heightened or distorted you know obviously your visuals can get very distorted
1: yeah
2: um so there's a lot to to unpack there but again i think yeah at this point I'm like, I don't really care what I'm seeing Mm -hmm. because for me, I'm, I'm a little bit past the point of like seeing is believing in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, there are things we cannot explain that we can feel. Right. And the more we learn how to trust that is real and to cultivate an intuitive sense The reflection of that power in the third dimensional world is quite profound. And and so this is like some of the stuff that I get into with my clients is like, how do we we actually become conscious creators in our lives? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Um, I'm not talking about setting a goal and putting it on your corkboard. I'm talking about... How do I vibrate my beingness in order to magnetize the things into my life experience that I desire to obtain, have, experience, orbit with? Right. And that can sound very out there. That can sound very woo woo.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that is simply, you know, in my mind, An invitation for anyone that feels very out of the scope of their possibility to do a little bit of research, to learn a little bit of physics, Mm -hmm. you know, and to look at why you have such a strong preference against that. Mm -hmm. And consider in your life was there another time where I had a strong preference against something, or I, I thought this person meant this thing, or I was absolutely sure about this, and then you were a little embarrassed when you found out later you completely misread the situation? Mm-hmm. Our egos don't like that. Like we don't want to be wrong about things. And I shared this quote with the men in, in the conscious man the other week, and I can't remember who said it, but I love this quote. And the idea is if you want to become more enlightened, start having fewer preferences. Mm. It's a t- those are attachments. If you need things to be a certain way, look at why you need it to be that way. Because if that thing is r- wrong, which I don't even believe things are right and wrong, if that thing you know, isn't true, what part of your personality or your ego does that threaten? Just consider that.
0: Mm-hmm. That's profound. Yeah, I find that a lot of the awakening pro- process is a reduction process. Is reducing the amount of things you're doing, the amount of things you're focused on, the amount of uh, relationships you keep uh, on a daily basis, and yeah, these are attachments. These are things we love. I, you know, we love our our little uh, rituals. We love talking to people endlessly. You know, but sometimes if we talk to people endlessly, we won't get our work done. So you have to kind of reduce and reduce things. And I think uh, one of the best ways to do that is meditation. Mm-hmm. It's om- it really like, helps you keep a clean file cabinet of where things go and what priorities you should focus on and how to go about things. And, to, you know, of course, to be more chill and less reactive to the world as well. Um,
2: Absolutely. I a thousand percent agree but it's not easy. Like when you first start getting into meditation, you're like, I don't get what this is supposed to be.
0: Right. I was telling my brother this that I think there's so much uh the the med- the word meditation is so loaded that people mm-hmm. think they're going to sit down and after a few minutes they're going to be in divine bliss and it's not that easy. Mm-hmm. Um I kind of like to say Instead of meditate, sit down, close your eyes and think. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's a way to start the process and people not have this expectation. Like I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I suck at this. I'm failing. Why can I not enter the state? I keep hearing people talk about and then they right. give up. They're like, well, I'm right. just not a good meditator. Like it's just not meant for me, but I'd say, you know, sit down and think for 15 minutes a day and that's, and start there. You know, mm-hmm. inst- instead of you know, meditate and focus on your breath and use the mudras and all the stuff because they could do all of it and still kind of feel like they got nowhere and they're just like, eh, I'm gonna throw in the towel. The meditation stuff doesn't work for me. Kudos to the people it works for. But what it feels like is happening to me is that they um, aren't letting the process unfold. It this takes a long time.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like when you first start going to the gym. Like and you want to lift a bunch of weight or something, and -hmm. you're like, "Oh, this working out just isn't for me. I'm just not athletic." Like it would be saying the same thing. Like this is something you have to train for. And I remember Mm
1: -hmm.
2: for anyone listening that is that is wanting to get started with meditation or has tried before and feels like they've failed. I remember meditating. I think there's okay. So it's like 21 days. You have to do something before it becomes like habitual. I think it actually took a full 21 days of like not feeling anything. Like I was not doing anything right. It was like 20 minutes a day for that long. And then suddenly, Mm -hmm. which is the exciting part because it can just like one day click. Right. Suddenly it happened. And I was like, oh... Right. This is the spaciousness that people talk about. Right. Okay. Yeah. What you're doing is you're not just spinning a roulette. Like I hope today my I go into that meditative state. You are in training yourself into a certain brainwave state. And right. if that's not a usually very accessible state for you, it might take you more time to exercise that muscle. And I had my friend Joe Holly on on my podcast. He's a dope, amazing dude, um, former NFL athlete. And he, he said something, this was like the second episode of my podcast. And he said something like, you know, when your mind wanders off, you just bring it back and that's the rep. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I was like, that's the rep. It's like, Right it's not like the mind's not going to run away but that's you lifting the weight just being like ah i did it again i ran away okay yeah. cool come back and then after your that brain muscle gets stronger and stronger and stronger of of bringing it back and bringing it back you just kind of is like bowling after that with with those like What do you call them? The bumpers. You know, like the bowling ball is not just going to like keep going into the gutter because, like, it's just being guided now. It's a lot more smooth. So, just a a word of encouragement for anyone, you know, that's tried and and feel like they are frustrated. And then the other thing I would offer is like, invite yourself to do some guided meditations. Mm -hmm. If you're really just beginning, sometimes that's a wonderful way. Get, you know, get on Insight Timer, check out. Tara Brock's mm-hmm. podcast. And then like, you know, I, I also, um, I made a free meditation too with a dope musician that, that I adore, uh, Graham Dern. And like, that's available for people if they want to just like, it's a five minute thing. And I mm-hmm. specifically made it for people who are like, I don't know how to start meditating. Mm-hmm. So people can get that for free on my website too. Um, just Hallie slash meditation. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's, yeah, there's just so many free resources out there if you want to begin.
0: Right. In your experience, what do you find is the best time to meditate?
2: Um, (laughs) I was gonna say like all the time, (laughs) but (laughs) I think it's imperative to meditate in the morning. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: My practice is 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening, I think that it's best done the earlier in the morning that you can. Like if you're a 5 a.m. person, that's when you get up, do it then. If you're a 6, if you're a 7, ideally it's before you do anything else for me. Because why? For me, I'm coming out of the dream state I'm coming out of sleep. That's where my brain waves are. I don't want to get myself too awake actually mm. before I do that. Like I'm not like jamming a coffee and then going to meditate for me that, that doesn't make sense. I'm going to go sit down. Um, maybe even very sleepily. I'm not even going to turn the lights on yet. Maybe I just flick on like a gentle, my Himalayan salt lamp or light a candle Mm -hmm. And when the world is quiet still, that's when I want to do it because you're the cleanest slate at that point. And you can be intentional about what you want to entrain yourself with for the day. And when I say entrain, it's like, I picture my mind like a computer and I'm sitting down to a computer that's just rebooted and no programs are open. And I'm like, what do I want to put, what I want to upload today? Right. So I start thinking about kindness, I start thinking about gratitude, I start thinking about how I want to show up when I meet a stranger. But if you've already gone and you've turned your phone on and you know you've got a bazillion notifications and you're like I'm just going to fire off that one quick text cuz I'll just get that out of the way, like no, you lost it already. Mm. So that's why for me I'm not always great about it, but I'm getting better especially right now. I've started airplane mode two hours before bed. So it's like Mm. 8 PM. I don't know if you text me after that time, probably not going to get it till the next morning at uh, like 10 or 11, Mm. because I'll keep, I'll keep it on airplane mode. And that way I can still use my phone as an alarm. Mm -hmm. And then when I hit the alarm off, I'm not getting a bunch of texts and I'll make myself leave that off until after I meditate and usually do my morning readings and give myself a little extra space after that. And then and only then will I say I'm ready to greet the world. Like I'm in control now. Now I am choosing to have these notifications come in. Because mm-hmm. I have the energy to respond right now. And I think that's really important is to start putting those boundaries around your life. Especially in the day and age that we live in. It's it's If you don't, then the external world will start controlling and dictating you instead of you choosing it and being the conscious creator of your
0: experience. 1000%. Wow. That's very profound. And um, I've heard that a number of times recently in some of these conversations and podcasts I've been having about um, creating the boundaries with the digital devices, because it is such a easy thing to get wrapped up in and consumed by. And that's what they want. That's what they're designed for. They're designed to take as much of your attention as possible, whether it be the social media or even just the phone and its amazing capabilities being connected to, to the internet where all information lies. Um, I know that it's a, it's a problem. It's an addiction even. And a lot of people won't uh, admit that or even think of it in those ways because it's kind of like, um, so normal now (laughs) Mm. is that everyone is on their phones 24 seven. It's, it's something that I've definitely noticed in, in a psychedelic space or even, you know, the day after a psychedelic experience where you're still kind of on that afterglow experience, like having this heightened awareness of what it is to be the human animal. And you go out into the world and you just see everyone so wrapped up in their devices and all the terrible posture of just, you know, like everyone looking down and it's honestly kind of sad. It makes me sad that that's the state that people don't want to talk to each other now or look at each other or say hi because they have their little phone, their little device. They get all their pleasure and community from that and not being present in the world anymore.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And we wonder why there's more and more anxiety and depression and and all these things. Like, hmm. and They're trying
0: to get out of that through this thing that's causing it.
2: Right. Exactly.
0: Such a paradox.
2: That is definitely a paradox. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: So that's a great um, rule of thumb, creating boundaries with the digital devices, um, the airplane mode to, and, and again, not jumping to your phone the first thing when you open your eyes in the morning, you know, it's like, there's so many way like reasons you could, the pr- pretty wrapping paper you could put on as to why you're doing that. Oh, I'm just right. setting, I'm just seeing the time or, Oh, I'm just making sure my mom didn't text me or, Oh, you know, make sure nothing important, but you know, like to be able to wake up and not jump to that immediately, I'm sure would do wonders for the, the, the tranquility and the state of mind that you're in uh, that day. And, you know, I think, They are tools, but let's use the tool. Don't let the tool use you.
2: Exactly. I couldn't have said it better.
0: So um, jumping back to the idea of the states that psychedelics are in, I'm very curious because you've worked with uh, ayahuasca as well as the mushrooms. And I just think I've heard some of your podcasts and you have a great way to explain what's going on in these visionary states. So I would really love to explore that a little bit with you as far as, you know, what do you think is happening? Is it our spirit like leaving our body or is it stuff going on in the, in the psyche? You know, how would you describe the psychedelic mm-hmm. experience to someone who maybe hasn't had it before, but is curious towards the healing potential that exists using these medicines?
2: Yeah, I'm just going to tune in to that question for a second. Mm-hmm. Again, um, every single medicine or psychedelic or substance, whatever word, sacred drug, you know, there's all these mm-hmm. terms. Each one of them is different. Mm-hmm. And each one of them has its own way or its own personality, if you will. I have the the. Most experience out of all of them would probably be ayahuasca for me. Mm -hmm. Mushrooms as well, but I actually haven't done a very large dose of mushrooms. Most people are surprised when I tell them that. Like I haven't done what one would consider a hero's dose, like four or five grams. I think I've maybe done up to two and a half, three. Mm. And the more that I learn about these altered states, the more that I understand that the um, amount becomes less important. Mm -hmm. And that we can hook into these altered states if we get very good at at sensitizing ourselves without any substances. Mm -hmm. And this is not just hearsay, and, and I'm not saying it's easy, but it absolutely can be done. Mm-hmm. So, what does it feel like for someone who's never experienced this? It feels to me like I'm in a room with myself like I'm in an infinite room with myself and all the other noise gets turned down and I can hear my inner voice as if it's the only thing in the entire universe. And I can't tell if the inner voice is me, if it's my guides, if it's angels, if it's God, if it's just the personality of the medicine, and I don't care. Mm-hmm. I stopped trying to figure out if this was an extraterrestrial guide <laughs> or if this was mama ayahuasca, or mm-hmm. this was my higher self. All I know is that there's a voice that speaks to me loud and clear and it feels safe and it feels like it knows what it's talking about. Yeah. And me, like the the third dimension version of me, the the lower and like the incarnate form of me is the student. And Mm -hmm. there's this relationship that is occurring. What that feels like for me is that I can ask questions and I'm engaging with this other essence, this other entity that's this feeling. So... I was doing a lot of this with ayahuasca and I used the word like I felt like I was going in every ceremony was like these lectures or these discourses and at the time I was really interested in sound Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I was really interested in the presence process so like becoming present Mm -hmm. and I was getting a lot of discourses or direct information about breath, about sound, about how to move my breath within the body, how fast to breathe, how slow to breathe, how to constrict the throat, maybe roll the tongue up and touch the roof of the mouth, maybe focus on my third eye or my crown while I'm breathing, while I'm picturing a certain color of light. These are things I would never really think about outside of a psychedelic state. Right. But in the psychedelic state, they made them. They made more sense to me than you know, our driving rules. Like I was like, Oh yeah, of course I'm going to breathe turquoise into this spot in my body and have this breath pattern. I can't tell you why other than it feels right. And that's what I am encouraging people is to, to sharpen that sort of, of feeling, not just in a psychedelic space, but like in your life and give yourself permission to do that. Like if something, if something feels, doesn't sit right with you like speak up Mm -hmm. tell that person can you can you deliver something with grace without punching someone in the face like is it possible to still empower yourself you know Mm -hmm. and and not do it in a violent way not project it back on somebody not blame somebody these were the sorts of the sorts of things that i started to get information about and i would ask You know, for example, a question I might ask in the psychedelic space is show me the energetic nuance between openness and like loving others and living in a state of love and necessary protection.
1: Hmm.
2: You know, something like that, because it's like, I know I want to live my life in a state of love. And yet sometimes I feel like not everyone's as open as me. And when I'm super open... I feel like I'm getting hurt over and over and over again. So like, can you guys teach me? And I say, you guys, like whatever this energy is up here, can you tell me about that so that I understand? Because I don't want to be in pain with this anymore and I don't want to close my heart down. So there must be a little... Nodule or or nut or bolt inside of me that I can tighten up and fine-tune and then everything will just make sense Mm -hmm. So so that's the way that I engage with this with the psychedelic state Of course, you know, they can be done recreationally. That's a completely different experience It really depends on the context that you're doing it but my preferred way Is alone Mm -hmm. with the psychedelic music playlist that I love to curate That's another thing that I do is like my spotify is filled Mm -hmm. with mushroom playlist, ketamine right. playlist, mdma playlist. Right, right. So, um because because I know how important that music and the vibration and the journey that the music can take us on is to to the overall experience. This is why, you know, I will not be doing ayahuasca um without having deep trust that mm-hmm. It is being performed, the, the ceremony is being conducted or performed or facilitated by people who have a deep connection to the lineage. And I'm not really interested in having an ayahuasca ceremony where, I'm not saying I'll never do this part, but I'm not, I'm not feeling interested in having an ayahuasca ceremony where someone plays a recording. Sure. For me, what I learned from from living down at Soltara, and this is when I launched the thought room, was actually through that whole experience. But living down at Soltara for three months, doing 13 ayahuasca ceremonies that year, mm-hmm. I understood the power of the Icaros and mm. how actually now I understand that the Icaros can do work without the ayahuasca, without the right. medicine. Right. And I've started to have songs of my own come right. through. I'll wake up in the middle of the night mm. with a melody coming through, with beautiful. with with words I don't understand, you know, and right. and and that's powerful and that's healing.
0: Absolutely! Wow, that's beautiful. Um, I resonate with a ton of what you're saying. Um, and one thing in particular was about the openness and the being so open that you're getting hurt. Mm. What do you find that that is? I feel like a very similar person. I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's an advantage because people are drawn to open people. You know, they're like, they just feel nice around people that are open. I think there's some type of auric thing yes. going on where it's like, Ooh, I feel good around these people, but then you're also so open that you're more open to hurt. You don't have this armor of the ego of, of, this kind of like ability to turn it off. And uh, I really resonate with that. And I find myself kind of uh, being a little um, distant at times from, from engaging because Mm -hmm. of of that very thing. What have you found in your experience that that is, and is there any way that you've learned how to adopt, you know, any type of, um, modality or coping mechanisms to protect for yourself from being hurt, but still remain open because it's who you are.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Every gift has a shadow side, right? Mm -hmm. So those of us who are experiencing what what you're describing here, we're empaths, right? We feel deeply Mm -hmm. and um, that is the gift. Now, I believe that that gift's shadow side, at least the way it's manifested in my life, is often one of people-pleasing, lacking boundaries, thinking I owe. Just because I have this gift, thinking I need to be the one that always listens deeply and right. is super compassionately, like always the nice one and taking the higher road when right. people piss me the fuck off. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and then like, am I bypassing my own feelings and just being like, okay, no, they're on a journey. I'm just going to have this spiritual reaction to this. Well, we got to be careful with that because we can c- create other reverberations and energy that gets stored and stuck in our bodies. Mm-hmm. So m- I, my intuitive sense of this is that those of us who are feeling that came here to be leaders, leaders of the heart. We -hmm. came here to teach other people how to be open. We volunteered to do that. Mm -hmm. And when you are the first one doing something or the first wave of something, it's not easy. Think of anybody who ever invented anybody, anything, Mm -hmm. or think of the first people that were proposing that the world was round and how everyone was calling them insane. Right. You know, spherical rather. Um, you know, because everyone thought the world was flat. So right. it's like, okay, those people were called crazy. We're we're like we're that, but in a with a different sprinkling of flavor. Like we're teaching people, hey, you can talk about your emotions. Mm-hmm. I'm still gonna accept you. You know, you don't have to put on that mask, you don't have to get defensive. Like we can be here in this space together. It's new. And so there's going to be growing pains. And so then the question becomes, well, how do I protect myself in that? I want to be a leader. I want to stay open, but the shit hurts sometimes.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I was, I was speaking about this literally yesterday with a potential new client. We were having an enrollment call mm-hmm. and we were talking about boundaries, you know, cause he wants to be a coach mm-hmm. and, and, and very gifted at these kinds of things. And I said, sometimes you're going to have to say, this is important to me, what you're saying. But right now I can feel that emotionally I'm at capacity with some of the stuff that I'm navigating. And I wouldn't be in integrity if I let you continue because I really think this deserves more of my attention than I can actually give right now. Mm -hmm. Man, that is not an easy thing to say to somebody that you love Like when a friend Mm -hmm. is talking a mile a minute and they're not even looking in your eyes because they're not Mm -hmm. even talking to you They're just word vomiting and you know that they just need that Mm -hmm. And you don't want to be like I can't like because you don't want the guilt like and then then i'm a bad friend And we start going into all these spirals and Right, right And to stop yourself from those spirals and just be like not my shit my shit is that I I love myself. And what does self-love look like in this moment? Like in this moment. And I cannot make everybody happy, but I'm stuck with me, man. And whether you believe it ends at the end of this life, which I don't, or that you believe that it continues on and on and on, you cannot escape yourself. So that's the person you have to reckon with when you lay your head down on the pillow at the end of the day is like, did I love myself today? Or did I give away as an empath Did I give away, like leaked all of my energy everywhere. And I'm going to bed resentful because I'm tired and I'm drained and I didn't work on my creative project. And I listened to everyone and I didn't take a bath and I didn't work out and I didn't eat well. Like Mm -hmm. that's on you, dude, that's Mm -hmm. on you, you know?
0: Powerful message. I think one, a lot of people will benefit from hearing because that, I find is something that these people that become open through spirituality, through psychedelics, through what, you know, just being born that way um, deal with. And a lot of us don't want to admit it because we, you know, we want to be strong and uh, we can take everything that the universe throws at us. But yeah, there are, there's a ton of that going on. Where it's like something tells us, you know, the right thing to do is to give my energy away because they're wanting it, they're needing it. But then you're you're emptying your cup. And you know what I mean? So it's... And then you, you're taking a hit. Right. It's such a... It's a hard thing to know how to navigate. It really is.
2: Right. And we're talking like there's this false humility thing too. It's like, oh, being the martyr... You know, always being of service. Mm-hmm. But when it is coming from an ingenuine place, you are not serving. Mm-hmm. That is when you need to, not only need to, but is your responsibility to take a pause and get yourself right because then it's just a mask. That's when people feel imposter syndrome because they're out there doing their work but they're not feeling it cuz they're not living it they're not embodying it mm-hmm. they're giving, they're telling other people about self-love and they're not treating their body right or eating well oh cuz cuz i'm so busy cuz i'm grinding it in my business so like mm-hmm. i have to keep going at this level
1: mm-hmm.
2: that's not what it's about that's not what it's about mm-hmm. so it's it's challenging but again, the metaphor that I like to use is when you get on an airplane and they tell you to put your oxygen mask on before serving another, it's that same thing. Why? Because if you you put on somebody else's mask, you might pass out before you get yours on or theirs. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. not serving. And same thing with posting on social media. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh... I have to keep up with the curve and I have to have funnels and I have to have consistency and I have to plan out on my social media. You can, if that excites you, Mm -hmm. but that is an illusion. You don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. I don't do that. You know, I talk about something when I care about it and I trust that the people who need to hear it will hear it and they will find me. And I set intentions and I set prayers to the universe and I say, okay, I'm ready for a couple new clients now and please help me find or help the people whom I can serve and help in the highest, most aligned way for their greater good in mind, help them find me swiftly and easily. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I don't want to advertise. I don't want to send a million seven chain email to you to sell myself. Mm-hmm. Fine if you do. This is not my style, and 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 I will challenge anyone who says that that's the only way that you can do it.
0: Right. So when you say a prayer to the universe, um, I've found that through numerous uh, theories and philosophies that exist, um, one of which is the law of attraction. Yeah. What, what you think about, you bring about. Um, right. I always curious, you know, what's going on there? Because it really does seem like when you set these intentions and you say it in a really, like, sacred way and really mean it and it's from the heart and you're connecting to your higher self, you're connecting to the great mystery that the universe is, you see results from it, you Mm -hmm. know? And I don't think it's as simple as what, like, a Christian would think is is like I prayed to God and He answered my prayer I don't think it's that easy I don't think it's that simple what's going on, but what do you think's going on because something mm-hmm. reverberates it, you know you set the intention out and then it right. comes back
2: I love this this is this is my my serious zone of interest, and this is what I could talk about all day long. This is what my programs are founded on and, and what my one on one coaching is all about is getting helping people to recalibrate. And start attracting what they want in life. So you, you know about cymatics, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like sound and the patterns that sound makes. So for those listening who aren't familiar, it's like, okay, when a frog makes noise in water and there's like sends these little echo waves out or when they put mm-hmm. a piece of plexiglass over a speaker and they put sand or water mm-hmm. and they play different tones, it makes different geometric shapes, When you play a lower tone, like like a lower frequency, the patterns, the actual shapes, and you can YouTube this, that get made are much more chaotic and crude, Mm -hmm. right? And when you start to play these higher frequencies, the mandalas that start coming out Are complex and and highly beautiful and intricate. Right. So, these are vibrations. Right. Everyone can look at that and go, "Okay, I agree that something's vibrating. It's making a pattern." When you have a thought, you're creating a vibratory field. Mm. So, if that thought is a sacred intention or a prayer, that's a higher frequency. Mm -hmm. It's a higher frequency than just having a thought about like needing to go take a shit, right? Like that's fine too. (laughs) Or like even worse than that, ruminating on an anger, angry thought or judging Mm -hmm. another or blaming another or sitting in victim consciousness. So Mm -hmm. that looks like, oh, I've been trying to attract my life partner for so long. I've been saying to the universe, like, where's my life partner? And they're not here you have tricked yourself into thinking you've been trying to manifest something, but what you've actually been doing is rehearsing the lack thereof. Mm -hmm. So you are in that lower, more crude vibratory state and you're spiraling there. And you're focusing on what you don't have. And the more that you rehearse and rehearse and rehearse that in your 68,000 thoughts you're going to have today, you're going to create and deepen that neural pathway that you're going to keep feeling like you're in that state of lack. So the trick is, and this is where people struggle with the law of attraction, the idea is to get yourself feeling, again, going back to I don't care about what it looks like, I care about the feeling. It's hard To do this, but this is why we meditate. So, say I'm trying to attract financial abundance. Mm -hmm. I need to be able to learn how to conjure up the feeling of financial abundance or what it feels like to be rich before I'm rich. Right. That's hard for a lot of people because they'll go, well, wait, like, no, this isn't, well, look around me. I don't have, you know, and then they start again, going right, right. back into that thought pattern of re- repeating what, well, well, you know, seeing is believing and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. If, if you want to stay there and you want to believe that, like, it, it, like you can't break yourself free from that unless you try. Mm-hmm. So the trick is, okay. And this is how I started practicing this before I had a financial abundance in my life, there were times I was living out of my car. Mm. I was living off $75 a week in New York City. I qualified for food stamps. I was on Medicaid Mm. and I was renting out my own apartment just so that I could pay the rent and I was crashing in other people's beds. Mm. And this was not a long time ago, maybe two and a half years ago. And what I started to do was like, okay, I'm going to play with this principle. I started to meditate. I had done my transcendental meditation training. And I would get myself into a calm, peaceful state. There's no point in trying to really do this until you can kind of quiet the initial thought. So it's like picture stilling the water before you start injecting paint or color into it, right? Mm. So you still the water of the mind. And then it becomes this question of, okay, what do I want to create? And for me, it was financial abundance at that time because I was in a lot of scarcity. And okay, so how do I do that? I would create a visualization. For me, what that looked like was me thinking about things that, that made me feel abundant. So it was mm-hmm. simple. I pictured this image of me swiping a credit card and paying for my friend's lunches. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, I loved the feeling of being like, I got this. Mm-hmm. And when I watched that on the movie screen of my mind over and over, it wasn't me driving away in a car, although it could have been. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe if I had started there, my mind would have gone, Nah, that's unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Some people can. I was a little bit more cynical. So I started with something small, this image of like, it feels so good to be able to give without like thinking about it or tripping up and just... Right. Rehearse that I did the same thing for a romantic partnership Mm -hmm. I started to conjure up an an image in my vision space Of what it felt like to be in the bedroom with a lover sitting there You know naked after making love and staring into their eyes and having that rapturous feeling of being so unconditionally loved accepted and seen Right. And all it took was three minutes a day of rehearsing that feeling within my body that I'm actually I'm training my nervous system to receive that.
1: Mm.
2: and i'm I'm walking away from that meditation cushion a little bit high off the feelings of feeling loved and seen. What does that create? Mm. That's, that creates a secure, confident person. So now I'm not just having these frou-frou visualizations. I'm walking out into the world changed Mm -hmm. and I'm a confident person in, in in business and I'm feeling a little bit more like sexy because I've just, I feel like I don't need anything. I've just had Mm -hmm. this gorgeous visualization now that's that's emanating off of me and i'm becoming a more magnetic person. so you see how it works when mm. we really break it down here it can sound very out there mm-hmm. but it's it's actually very practical and translatable.
0: right. yeah, a lot of you know, the world's most successful people in in terms of making impact while they were here on earth talk about the power of visualization. From you know Tony Robbins to to Conor McGregor, you know what I mean. Um, Mm -hmm. They all really talk about. Well, I envisioned what I wanted, and it kind of attracted it to me. But but likewise, like you're saying, it, it it helps you embody that feeling before you have it, so that as it's approaching, you're you're prepared for it because you know you can't just get a thing you're not ready for you know like if i was to just put on a suit of armor that i had not been training to wear i would just be worse off in, in a battle completely I would, i'd literally be like uh weighed down and slow and i and but for a person that has been putting one piece of armor on at a time preparing for a battle and then when it's finally time like they know how to move in that suit absolutely yeah.
2: And like, okay, so a couple practical examples of what you just said is like someone who wins a lottery. So mm-hmm. someone who wins a lottery is like, okay, they got this abundance that came in. And oftentimes people who win the lottery end up back in scarcity. They spend everything. Yep. Why does that happen? Like this is not just something that happens once. This is a Yeah, This is a psychological phenomenon that's been studied. It's because they haven't changed their mindset. Right. They're still in the scarcity mindset. And what you're saying too about preparing our bodies, our nervous systems to receive, a practical example is when you say you want to attract a life partner... And Mm -hmm. then you meet someone and then you get fucking scared Mm -hmm. because it's like all your shit comes up and you're like, wait, (laughs) I ordered like reminding yourself, I ordered this up. I ordered up growth. I ordered Mm -hmm. up, you know, someone to call me higher. That sounded like a nice idea. Now Mm -hmm. someone is right here confronting me with all my shit Mm -hmm. and I'm being asked to surrender into this and show the most deep and vulnerable and unsightly parts of myself. And I don't really know. I'm ready for that. Right? So it's important to rehearse that inside of our bodies before. And in the visualization, yes. But the missing piece for me in that is if you're familiar with the work of of Joe Dispenza, right? He talks about these um like supercharged emotions, empowered emotions, embodied emotion. The visualization is just it's just a fantasy without the connection of the emotion. The emotion is like okay, the visualization is the rocket and it will not go anywhere without the fuel of right. the emotion. Right. The fuel is what's really important. Right. And you can have a rocket that is like, "Oh, I want this thing," but if your energy behind it is like, "I'm never going to get this thing," mm-hmm. then you you have the wrong fuel or you're going to send the rocket in the wrong direction. Right. So, um, yeah, the, it, these, things are, these things are really important to get clear. And if there's something in your life that you feel like you've been asking for for a while and it hasn't come, most likely it's because unconsciously there's, there's a kink in the hose mm-hmm. and what you've actually been rehearsing or attracting is the opposite of that. And, or, or there's some blockage around deserving that mm-hmm. and you you're punishing yourself in the thoughts like, well, this isn't coming because I did this, or I must right. not be good enough at this yet. There's something happening in the thought patterning that is uh, disallowing the flow.
0: Right. Yep. And I, I think, you know, you might've mentioned this as well, or it's just something coming up, but being able to feel and this is something with me that plant medicine has really helped um, guide me into the understanding of just feeling so immensely grateful for what I do have yeah. I- instead of thinking about what I don't have yeah. in the, in the relationship field, instead of the, the, the material object field, it would just be, I am so grateful for my friends, my family, You know, the couple of people that I can really just be 110% myself with. Mm -hmm. I'm just so, so, so grateful for them. Um, More people than, and maybe that romantic partner would be attracted into your life based on the frequency you're holding about your life, being grateful instead of, as you said earlier, being the victim, you know, like why haven't I got what I, what I deserve, what I know I want. I, I put it out there but that's not the way you have to be grateful for what you have to get more.
2: Absolutely. And I think gratitude, I'm glad you brought this up because gratitude is one of the highest states, you know, bliss, joy, love, gratitude. Like Mm -hmm. those are the frequencies and gratitude practice is part of my daily life. Mm -hmm. Lots of people like to do it in the morning. That's a great time to do it. I like to do it at night Mm -hmm. because I go through my day And I write down, I just keep, it's really easy. I just keep a little note in my phone and, and turn it when I turn it on airplane mode, I'm right there. I open up my gratitude list and I start to rehearse all the things that went well today. And why? Like the feeling is so important. Mm -hmm. Not like grateful for the sunset. Okay. That's cool. But like Mm -hmm. grateful for the sunset because... I felt so alive watching it or I was reminded of the gorgeous rhythms of this earth that keep it going and turning. And Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm so grateful for um, that person dropping that item off for me because I felt so thoughtful and Mm -hmm. I felt a sense of safety, love and connection. And those are things that I strive for. So if you're going to list gratitudes, as much as you can get in touch with the feelings that you're grateful for. Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. This
2: is, this is really important too, because I was teaching a piece in the conscious man about giving compliments. Right. Mm -hmm. And someone might say something to you like, Matt, you're so amazing. And you're like, cool. It doesn't really (laughs) mean anything. Like it's somebody projecting a perception with, with, a lot of just vague nothingness in your general direction and then looking to you to like be excited to accept that. So Mm -hmm. what we talked about is like, how do I give a meaningful compliment? And this is, this ties into like, how do I make meaningful gratitudes? Mm -hmm. You tell a person why, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, you know what I appreciate about you, Matt? I really appreciate your professionalism. I really appreciate your, your intellect and the way that you ask thoughtful questions. Mm -hmm. I'm always following your music and your work. And I really respect the way that you interact with people online. Mm -hmm. That's, that is a far easier to receive than you're amazing, right? Right. It's tangible. And I've let you know how you add value to my life. Mm -hmm. So if you can let the universe know why these things you're grateful for adding value to your life, you will call more of it in. That's
0: law. I agree. I really agree. Wow. That is, <laughs> that's profound.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that is exciting. I love it. I love it. Um Man, I just need a second to, to feel that for a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, when it comes to, you know, people starting to understand how to better their lives, I think this is a message a ton of people should be able to take away is we all can better our lives. And what is the first step that you would share as the major change? Is it the things you eat? Is Mm -hmm. it the amount that you sleep? Is it the way you think? Is it a meditation practice? I know all these things individually help your life, but what is that first step that you find most people are unwilling to take that would just like so immensely beautify their life?
2: Being willing. I think it starts with being willing. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: It's just... Am I open to doing things differently? Am I curious? If you can adopt a mood of curiosity and untether from your strong opinions about something, the whole world becomes your playground. Mm -hmm. Everything becomes fun. You start experimenting with diet. Oop, that didn't work. I actually felt worse when I tried that keto diet versus carnivore diet versus whatever. Mm-hmm. If you can just take a playful attitude, okay, I tried this meditation. No, I don't resonate with transcendental meditation. Yeah. I am like Kriya Yoga better or whatever. Right. It's your playground and I'm not here to prescribe anything specific to anyone. In fact, I would highly caution you against any leader or guru or whatever who tells you there's only one way. Right. You know the way. Yeah. You know the way. You're remembering the way. The reason you're listening to this podcast, the, le- the reason you're asking somebody else for advice is because you want validation in mm. what you already know is the way. So trust that you know the way. When you hear something that resonates, that's it. That's the inner lighthouse saying, go this direction. And if you can allow yourself to tumble all over the, the beaches of all the mistakes and all the experiences and roll around in the sand and get dirty and get muddy and mess up and just keep laughing and keep playing. Mm-hmm you will find your way. And the secret is that there's no secret. All you have to do is have a willingness to stay curious and get to know yourself and uh, and agree that you're going to fall, try to fall more deeply in love with yourself every single day. That's it.
0: Love it. Thank you so much. Thank
2: you. <laughs> you're welcome, Matt.
0: That was wonderful. Um, Yeah, so just to, you know, kind of uh, invite people to learn more about you and your podcast. Um, I'd love to talk about that before we go.
2: Sweet. Uh, The podcast is called The Thought Room. It's everywhere that you find your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, all the things. You can also directly find it at Mm thoughtroompodcast.com. And that will link you to all our episodes. And I've had... So, I launched the podcast down when I was living at Sultara Healing Center. I had the amazing opportunity to interview a lot of guests and influencers that were coming through the Ayahuasca Center. A um, couple of them that were, were highlights for me were, you know, De- Dr. Dennis McKenna, uh, Dorian Yates we 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 just mentioned our friend eric godsey i had him on uh the day after his first ayahuasca ceremony ever um luke's story you know there's just a a bunch of really really amazing light-filled individuals that came through Mm. so we talk about themes of plant medicine consciousness I do episodes on sex, love, intimacy, nonviolent communication. We've done everything from nutrition to, to row cards to you name it. Um, I, I, I think there's a variety of interesting topics on there for, for anyone. But I would say first and foremost, it's a storytelling podcast I like to have real humans having real conversations I often cry on my podcast I often my guests cry on their podcast when they're sharing and it's a deep emotional and intimate podcast so I highly invite you to check it out
0: 100% I'm so glad you're offering that service and thank you for being you and for just being an awesome light in this world just uh, keep doing you thank you so much for being here today Hallie
2: thank you so much Matt it has been an absolute pleasure